from Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Indeed, it is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And uh, we're glad to welcome him. One of the most recognizable voices in the Sacramento area, Paul Robbins. Paul, good day to you. Hi, Bob. Yeah, w- once upon a time. Once upon a time, yeah. <laughs> there was a, a man named Paul Robbins. Should I now, be now, saying Professor Paul Robbins? That's me now. Who, who saw this uh, change coming in my career after being on the radio for a long time and anchoring the news on TV for another 11 years? I'm now on the faculty at Jessup University in Rockland. And uh, uh, this, this what I'm assuming is the last adventure in my career before I ride <laughs> off to the sunset. Uh, has really, it's really been fun. I'm really enjoying it. It's funny. The, you never know what the good Lord has around the corner. <laughs> Um, Amen. I, I, I will not say it is certainly the last adventure, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. one of the last. <laughs> well, tell, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, William Jessup. I know I I uh, occasionally cover uh, UC Davis basketball, and a couple of years yeah. ago, uh, William Jessup and the Aggies uh, got together with a benefit game for, for fire victims, and they, they, they played it at William it. Jessup. Gave them a run for their money. I mean, right up until the end. Oh, right, right. Up, it was yeah. like tied with 30 seconds to go. We had no business being that close to UC Davis. Actually, you know, we're going Division Two. Uh, we're going uh, uh, NC Two A uh, next year. year Where are you? D three or D two? D two. Oh wow, you're really that? moving up. <laughs> so, a pretty aggressive sports program. For those who don't know, uh, Jessup moved to Rockland in 2005, it began at San Jose Bible College right. in 1939, and uh, moved here to become a full-service university in uh, 2005. My middle daughter graduated from here, and I lose track, but a dozen years ago. <laughs> and um, and I had that great affection for this place and, and, and what they're doing. And so when I got the call more than five years ago from the president saying, hey, we've grown a lot, we're uh, complete full-service university, and we don't have a communication studies program, uh, and asked me to help put one together, and that was uh, that was my excuse to stop getting up at 3 in the morning doing uh, morning <laughs> uh, morning news on Fox 40, and I, I've come here. So we just started our fifth academic year with a program that we're now calling Digital Communication, Art, and Design, and I have about 60 students in the major, and uh, we're, we're super blessed with great kids and a, and a great growing program. Boy, that's that's great. You, you mentioned three a.m. I used to do. Uh, I had a show on K, KFBK nine to midnight, just <laughs> general general talk. And I, about three a.m. was about when I got to bed. And that was yep. just when you were getting up. I, I know you and I both put in our time at KFBK. Yes, but, we did. Um, yes, we did. Yeah, but, well, you know the uh, the early morning. I, I had a class this morning at seven fifty a.m. and all the students wander in, acting like it's really early. <laughs> and, uh, I have let them know they can complain about that to other professors, but not to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm the wrong guy to talk to. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I'm I'm curious. We're going to talk about the the Life Center dinner, which you're emceeing. We will get to that. Okay. <laughs> but okay. I'm curious. Uh, does does your uh, NCAA Division two? Do you have a league yet? Are you going to be in with like Chico State and? Yeah, I'm afraid you're talking to the wrong guy. You've already left me. You, you, you have heard all my sports knowledge. I'm afraid. Do, do I need uh, to apply for the athletic director job? Well, um, you know, we uh, we have an unbelievable uh, AD. I know you do. So he cannot be replaced, but I'm sure he might be looking for a good assistant. Bob. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Lance Von Vogt is just—he's amazing. I just had a meeting with him earlier this week. I have quite a few of his students in my program. And, uh, you know, yeah, the growth. In fact, you know, that's a, a commitment to his love for what he's doing here is what that man wants to do is coach basketball. Mm. And with this step up to this division and this level of uh, competition, uh, this year for the first time, he's let go of the basketball team. Somebody else is coaching the team, so he is, he's, you know, he's a full-on administrator of this remarkable growing department. And for him, it's quite a sacrifice to give up being on the court with his guys. Well, I remember Jim Les, the the UC Davis yeah. coach, had great things to say about him. So, yeah. yeah. So, tell us, uh, uh, you know, the, the Sacramento Life Center has been in in business now. Business, that's not business, but it's been in uh, 
uh, doing great work for over 50 years now. And uh, you emceed their event, their big dinner, uh, which this year is November the 11th, a Saturday, yep. uh, many, many years. You know, they, they tell me it's over 30 years uh, that I've been their MC, and I find that hard to believe, but uh, I guess I do. I mean, time flies when you're having fun, and since my oldest daughter turned 40 this year, I guess it's possible uh, that I have been doing it that long. They, they assure me it's at least, in fact, I think they told me two years ago it was my 30th year doing it. I, I do not keep track, uh, uh, but I'll take their word for it. Yes, it's been a long time, and it is, it is my privilege since... I was much more in the public eye, you know, years ago, and I used to do a ton of uh, MCing events. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a professional, but I'm a pretty darn good amateur auctioneer. I used to do a lot of events mm -hmm. like that. And these days, there are there's two events that I do every year that I would absolutely never ever miss, uh, and one of them is, is the Life Center. I'm happy to go back every year. I love the work that they do. I, I get to check in with the Leatherbees once a year. Um, I, um, I just it's a uh, it's a it's it's such an important and wonderful event. I, I would not miss it. Yeah, I you know I remember uh, I've done a few a little, I've done some emceeing myself, and uh, one time they asked me to be the auctioneer, and I lost my voice for like three days, you know, <laughs> and, and could not literally could not be on the radio because I didn't have a voice. I, I tried to use hand signals, but it didn't go over very well, and and I said I'm not. I'm not going to be your auctioneer anymore. I'll be happy to emcee and introduce the auctioneer. But well, I, you know, I, I try not to be offended. I was the auctioneer quite a few years, and now, uh, again, I don't take it personally. They brought in a professional, and I'm, I'm the emcee. I get things going. I get to hang out with the auctioneer and introduce the items. But it's amazing how this has grown through the years, and I don't know what the numbers are now, but we just fill up this ballroom, and it's grown to be um, – I mean, I guess it's a dinner and auction. It feels like a dinner and auction and party. Uh, the place yeah. just yeah. when the, when the auction gets going, it gets rowdy, and it is it is really fun. Well, really Mar fun. Marie Leatherby told me that uh, they hit seven fifty last year. Oh, oh, I believe it. Yeah, and I I told her, you know check out Golden One. You know you're going to have to move the event. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It's been exciting to see this event grow with the Life Center through the years. And there are, you know, some years where there's a specific targeted need. Uh, you know, one year we completely, in one evening, paid for and outfitted a mobile clinic. Yeah, isn't that something? Um, uh, you know, it's the people are so generous. And it's one of, you know, I mean, anytime there's a nonprofit event with a charity and an auction, people of good hearts come out. Uh, there, I, I know of no, uh, eh, I take it back, I can think of two events where the people who come have such a, that I participate in, that have such a passion for the event. It's more than just, we're nice people and this is nice. It's people coming out with a passion for the mission of the organization mm -hmm. and the generosity. It's, it, you leave that place feeling so good. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know what percentage of the audience is capable of making the kinds of contributions that some of the people make that night. Right. But we are all a part. Of, of what happens that night. It's fantastic. Well, it's, I, I remember one time uh, um, my wife was doing uh, development work for Crystal Ray High School, <clears> and, <throat> you know, they they were going to have an auction, and somebody said, well, you should go to the Jesuit auction just to kind of get a feel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these, guys were, <laughs> these guys were bidding on new new cars, you know. It was like... Yep. And I thought, and, and I thought just watching... The auction was entertaining. I mean, they should put it on ESPN. I mean, it was it was just fun to watch the auction and, I, and see I, these I people the kind of, of sparring back and forth. I had, I had the privilege of him seeing that one a couple of years, oh, years ago. <laughs> yeah, and it's all oh, it's a wonder to behold. And I, I, I've I've actually been the auctioneer at Christian Brothers uh, a couple of times. And uh, oh, they're, they're, just in general, they are wonderful fun events when people turn out for something they care about. And uh, and again, the Life Center. I there's there's not enough. My wife you know, worked uh, for many years in that field, and we've always had a passion for it. And so uh, that's so much fun to be there. So how do, you, how do you prepare for this? How do you, you know, do, 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 you, you, you can sort of tell the same jokes sometimes. <laughs> you know, you kind of go through your list and say, no, let's see, this event I told that joke. And 
These people probably won't remember that joke, you know. And this joke's so good, it's worth telling again. You do do have a couple of good repeaters. I don't know, uh, Bob, I think you give me too much credit when you presume I prepare. Um, (laughs) Well, first of all, for me, like I said, you know, been doing this one for 30 years. This is an organization I can I could get up and talk about without preparing. I sure, I, sure. I care about what they do, and I have I've known Marie for I don't I lose track. Uh, you know, 35 years I'm sure. And um, so in that regard, often if I'm doing an event, I will really study up on the organization, sure. and that is just not required here. I, if, if they if, don't don't repeat this, if they ever have a we generally have a keynote speaker that you know delivers a, a compelling 20-minute address. It's, it's, if there's a, a year when that person gets sick at the last minute, I could fill 20 minutes talking about the last Just talking time. about it, yeah. Because yeah. oh, um, So I, I really, uh, I get too much credit. I just have to show up and introduce people and, you know, and, and get the clown around during the auction. And um, you see, I, sometime when you and I are not on the radio together, I have one great joke that I was worried about that I ran by. Uh, it was a previous... Uh, director of the Life Center, I said, I want to tell this joke tonight, and she said no. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, next time you and I are together, I'll tell you. Oh, I want to, I want to hear it, and, and uh, you, you know, it's, I, I had that experience <laughs> as a newspaper columnist. There's only been one time in decades of writing a daily newspaper column where I was censored, where, where <laughs> and it was somebody in the press room you know, the, the publisher is a local publisher. Publisher was out of town. The managing editor was out of town. And he didn't like this one paragraph in my column. And it was a joke. You know, it was a joke. And, it, you know, uh, kind of those, the double entendre play, you know, and, and uh, you push the envelope a little bit. And, and I remember picking up my, this back before the Internet, uh, picking up my column the next day and go, what? What? Where's the joke? Where's the joke? And, and they said, uh, Daryl in the press room, he pulled it right before the paper went to, went to print. Uh, you and I will have to swap stories. Well, I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you that one <laughs> when you tell me yours. But it's, uh, it's a fun, it's a really a fun group. And uh, another thing that's really worth saying that I, I, I realize anew every year it's really an ecumenical gathering. It is. Um, it is. It is. I mean, the the Catholic community is extraordinary and so admirable in their, uh, in, you know, in the life movement, um, and the Protestant churches turn out, and uh, kids from uh, from Christian schools and Catholic schools are usually there as the surfers uh, servers, and there there is uh, as sweet a vibe as you would ever want to be around at at this event every year. Yeah, and you know it, it is. It, it's an ecumenical event because it's an ecumenical movement, and it's an ec- ecumenical, an ecumenical issue. You know, it's it's one that I, I think just has. I, I mean, I I go back to before Roe v. Wade. You know, and and was was sort of stunned when uh, this came about to see how the country divided. I I just I didn't expect. Uh, kind of the, the the division and who took sides and and what side they took and yes. they, you know we don't talk politics here but it was just it was it just surprised me um, people that I you know knew knew well and and then other people you know and and it just it it, it shouldn't be a political issue it should be my goodness uh, everybody everybody should love human life everybody walking the planet right now who's 50 years or younger, at least in the United States, 50 years or younger, had parents who had the option legally to abort them, and if they ran that decision, they ran it in your favor. (laughs) So it seems like everybody 50 and under should be pro-life. Your comment that it it shouldn't be a political issue, and it shouldn't be a faith issue. It should No. One of the most compelling speakers we've ever had in the 30, however many years I've been doing this, was the uh, the actor, and he's also an economist and a you know a, a thought leader. If you recognize the name Ben Stein, oh, of course, uh, yeah, yeah, and he and he as he was the actor in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? Bueller, Bueller, yep. <laughs> he, he he's Jewish. Yes, he was our speaker one year, and his story. I don't know if we probably don't have time for it now. His story of how he came to realize what was really happening in the pro-life, in the life movement, and how he came 
a guy who lives in Hollywood, how he came to be pro-life. It was one of the most uh, compelling conversations I've ever heard or had about the subject. Wow. Yeah, and, you so, know, uh, we, we once had a guest. I think she was going to speak at the uh, March for Life in San Francisco a number, number of years ago, and she was the founder of Atheists for Life. And, you wow. know, and, and she she was she brought the house down in San Francisco. And yeah. and because here was, uh, you know, OK, she's because uh, you I hear it. I'm sure you hear it. Well, yeah, you just you know, you Catholics, you all believe in this and you, you do what you're told yeah. to do and blah, blah, blah. You know, and and you go, no, I, when I was growing up prior to Roe v. Wade, it wasn't. It wasn't an issue. It wasn't something we learned in catechism class. It wasn't. It was right. just maybe we were applying the the principles uh, that we learned, like God made everyone, and uh, we're all you know made in the image and likeness of God, et cetera. Maybe those things helped, but when when it came along, it was uh, it was inner. It was inner that said this is just wrong. You know, I mean, this. How can we take a baby's life, and uh, and and then obviously the church is on that side, but it was out, sort of outside the church, if you will. Where where it, and I'm thinking, I don't know why atheists can't be pro life too. Oh, so science is on our side. Science is. You go to any science textbook. When does life begin? If we're talking about anything but human beings, but even in the human beings in the science books, well, it begins at conception. You know, um, you know, and whether we're talking about frogs or what you know it's like it it begins at conception uh, that period uh, there's no there's no way around it there can be so much uh dissent and anger around this issue and yet anybody who finds it to be a uh a, a, an issue that causes anger and dissent come to the life center dinner and see one of the most joyous celebrations you ever want to see yeah, really? yeah the, the stories are compelling Oh my gosh! Um, I just yeah. came from a, a MC the uh, Bishop Gallegos Bishop Gallegos maternity home dinner, where they they are dealing with people who literally are homeless and need a place to live, and they're pregnant. You know, and yeah. it's the same thing. They they get up to tell their stories, and there's not a dry eye in the house. And I've always said, if you're pro-choice, and I live in a town that's decidedly quote unquote pro-choice, um, if if you're pro-choice. But you really believe that word choice, you should come to the Life Center dinner because they are providing a choice for women. You know, they're not handcuffing people. They're not browbeating people. They're not trying to convert people. They're just providing a choice for them, uh, an encouraging word, a helping hand, and a lot of practical help as well. Uh, I mean, imagine going into a place Maybe you don't even speak the language. Maybe you're uh, an immigrant. Maybe you're undocumented. They help people get onto insurance. They find them a doctor. They give them uh, all kinds of health care. I mean, my goodness, what's not? To, it's, a, it's a giant safety net that the state of California should be celebrating. Yeah. Oh, that, Bob, that's a great take on it. They're it, they, they providing women. Uh, and and also the men in their lives with a choice. Exactly. Right? That's a great way to look at it. And I'll tell you, the um, often the highlight of the evening every year, separate from the highest bids in the auction or the cleverest you know guest speaker we get or the clever MC, uh, the highlight every year is very often the client stories. We will have uh, two and sometimes three um, women who come and tell the story of their changed life. Sometimes the client story is a. 25-year-old man who gets up and says, mm -hmm. I'm here because 25 years ago my mother came to the clinic. And those stories are so, so amazing. Yeah, and I mean, think about it. There are, there are people that were came into this world because, because of the Sacramental Life Center who are now probably grandparents. <laughs> That's, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it, it is amazing, and it's, it's a privilege to be a part of it. Yeah, well, it's 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 awfully good of you to uh, give of your time and and your talent and yourself, and uh, um, I know everybody looks forward to you being there as well. And uh, I will uh, I'll come out to William Jessup sometime, and and if we can have a cup of coffee and we'll swap jokes, and <laughs> and I'll uh, go talk to your athletic director. 
I'm dying to hear your story. I'll tell you mine. Okay, Paul, thanks so much. You bet, Bob. My yeah, pleasure. God bless. Yeah, that's Paul Robbins, uh, who will be the MC of the Sacramento Life Center dinner, November the 11th. Uh, you can call the Life Center and get tickets. They're going fast. Uh, they did They did actually sell out last year. Um, you know, th- at some point, they have to, you know, you think, oh, well, can't you squeeze a few more in? Well, they, you know, they, they have tables of 10, and at some point, the Hyatt only has so many, so much room in the ballroom, and uh, they they hit 750, and that was the super max, if you will, and that's as that's as as high as they could go. They may, I don't know. There, there aren't there aren't very many dinner venues. I mean, I guess you know there there might be bigger halls that uh, you could bring a caterer in or or something, or a, a, you know, a, even school gymnasiums. Uh, uh, aren't that aren't that big but some sometimes arenas are that big on the on the floor so we'll, we'll see uh, I know they love where they are and, and they are treated very very well there but it's a it's a big event it's Veterans Day it's Veterans Day weekend it's uh, Saturday November the 11th and uh, call the uh, call the Sacramento Life Center and uh, learn all about it we'll take a quick break back with more on a Bishop's Hour right after this This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at their thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrusites. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and long-standing support of the Bishop's Hour. We'd like to thank all the wonderful people and organizations, uh, businesses in town uh, and throughout the Diocese of Sacramento who have provided underwriting for the Bishop's Hour. Uh, some in the last few years, some uh, have been with us for a very long time. If you would like to be an underwriter for the Bishop's Radio Hour, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to to support this mission and also to support the diocese and also uh, to get some uh, recognition for uh, your organization or for your business. The easiest way to do this is to uh, give us a shout, send us an email, radio at scd.org, and we can give you all the details about uh, helping to underwrite the Bishop's Radio Hour. Again, that's radio at scd.org. This is Deacon Kevin Stasco, the Director of the Office of Youth and Young Adult Ministry and Family and Faith Formation, and you're listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob Dunning. Thank you, Deacon, for uh, all you do here in the Diocese of Sacramento and for that wonderful introduction. Well, we're pleased to welcome in Miriam San Martino, the Director of Catholic Charities and Social Concerns, and uh, a lot on your mind, and uh, I get the joy of talking with you. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Uh, a lot has been going on. I just wanted to share some updates. You know, I think a lot of it is just finding the best way to um, really incorporate the gospel into everyday life. 
Mm -hmm. you know, whether Mm -hmm. that's in our schools, in our families, in our social life, political life, parish life, right? Make sure that we're living those, the gospel truly. Yeah. So Catholic charities and social concerns. Yes. those those are, those aren't mutually exclusive, are they? I mean, they're, no, they're not. They're, it all flows together. Yeah, and, and that's part of um, some of the the work that I really enjoy. You know, one I, I get to see it from a very uh, distance level, right? I can see the Catholic Charities agencies really working on the day to day need right. um, to adapting to whatever's going on in society, you know, the changes in social service programs and really meeting the, the needs of our community members. And then the social concerns is, well, why are we in this place to mm-hmm. begin with? Mm-hmm. Right. And really the intersect will be, you know, how can we learn from our direct services what are we learning from those stories right that come into our doors every day and how is that going to influence the way that we understand what's happening in the way that we um vote and the laws that are coming down and our programs right and the decisions that are made at the local level at the city and county level but also at the statewide and federal level yeah i mean it's it's interesting how so so much of of the work you do intersects with politics now you know and, <laughs> yes it, it seems like more than it used to maybe um mm-hmm. it, it it's uh, i i think I, if if one party says it's monday the other party says it's tuesday it's just it just <laughs> seems like we are divided on so many things yes. that there used to be more of a consensus on you know mm-hmm. and um but helping the poor helping those in need the basics um, it's the basics and it's the basics <laughs> of our faith yes. you know and and it's really the ba- the foundations of our country i think absolutely you know? yeah. and the more that we are able to kind of step outside of our normal you know day-to-day life and volunteer right and spend right. time with those who are really suffering those who are really living on the margins then it gives us an ability to really understand what is it that's being discussed at the political level right you know when we're talking about hunger um when you're looking at the the food uh, the food programs, both at the federal and the state level, when you're being asked to vote on something, it really changes your perspective when you spend time yes. with those families yep. who are trying their best. They're trying their hardest, you know, with multiple jobs, trying to enroll in multiple programs to keep their children and their families fed. Then you really begin to understand what is it that we're discussing here? What are we arguing about here? Yeah, you know, one of one of my uh, daughters who uh, was at UC Santa Cruz, she's now transferred to UC Davis uh, as a junior, but she spent two years there and got involved in internships uh, with farm workers mm. in the Salinas area yeah. and with the prisoners of Soledad. Oh, wow. And it just, I, I won't say it changed her perspective, but it deepened her perspective mm-hmm. and really um, gave her gave her a heart for, for, for not just the poor, but the people. I mean, so many people in prison, uh, you know, maybe yeah. never had a fair shake in life. I mean, it's easy to, you know, lock them up and throw away the key. Yeah. But um, did we walk in their shoes? And, and what do we do about it? Yeah, uh, you yeah. Know? I mean, we... We in my hometown had a terrible double murder over time, uh, you know, and uh, very recently, and uh, the person has been diagnosed with schizophrenia and is now at a state hospital because he wasn't capable of standing trial. Oh my goodness! But uh, you look at when he he was a UC Davis student, and mm. when he was in high school, he was on the football team. He was in, you know, you just see these pictures of him. Yeah, yeah. At, 16 or 17 years old and was i guess came to davis on a scholarship and you know and you think what happened yeah what happened what what happened what went wrong you know and unfortunately the the judge in the case recognized that almost Mm. instantly and and you know said this is this man's not fit for trial yeah you know but but i mean there are two people that died you know and and Mm -hmm. and so there's there's all this back and forth on both sides of that but absolutely but it's, this, it's very hurtful this, exactly i mean those people aren't coming back and and uh one was a student and and 
uh, one was oh it doesn't matter who they were but, I mean, but uh, you know they they to see all of the human right drama there and, and sadness. Yeah, because on, on both sides, right, they came from a family, they came from a community, right. and and people knew them, yep. right, they're beyond whatever statistic or how we report exactly. them, and so that's really hurtful and, and harmful, right, and so we, how do we come back from that, how do we heal as a community? Right. Um, you know, I, I, I just came, I was a part of the um, Diocesan Restorative Justice Directors Gathering, mm-hmm. uh, which is that's a mouthful, yeah. Uh, but it was a, a pretty much a week long intensive uh, meeting with all of us, really sharing. Well, why do we do the work that we do? Mm-hmm. And for me, I think it's really hard to come from a point of vulnerability. Yeah. You know, because you work for the diocese, you sure. represent Bishop. You know, but but we are human, and we have some tie right. to this work. And it reminded me to when I first started as an immigration attorney. Uh, one of my first cases was this young man who was. Um, incarcerated mm-hmm. um he got in some trouble and that ended up leading him you know in some immigration in trouble as well but when i went to go visit him he had been there for about two years and in those two years nobody had visited him wow wow nobody he's in state prison yeah wow and so um, you know my job first was legal representation sure, sure. but you realize this person needs more than just my legal expertise he, right. he needs me to listen to him and it took some time, right, to kind of break down those walls of toughness that kind of build around yeah, um, yeah. after so much trauma. And you get to realize that what he was suffering from was really a lack of love from his mm-hmm. father, from his family, not knowing where he belonged, where he fit in. And then on the other side of my work, I worked a lot with um, victims of violence, mm-hmm. again, in my immigration work. And I kind of had the same experience where even though you've been a victim and you know, you're trying to to get yourself better, there's a lot of that, um, those barriers to really get into who this person really was. Right. Um, and when you get down to the, to the deep part of that person, there is again, a lack of love or what is love really? Right. Mm-hmm. And it was linked at, unfortunately at that time to violence for a lot of these victims for domestic violence. And so I, I kind of see the same experience, right. On both sides, we're all just victims. Right of this indifference, of this lack of love that we're seeing in our society. So how do we not justify, right, the offender, um, but understand where they're coming from and how can we prevent this in the future? How can we help them heal as well, right, as they're kind of coming to terms with what they did? And on the survivor's side, same thing, right? Listen to them and and helping them heal and find that wholeness again after whatever they've experienced. Yeah, it's it's... What do we mean, whether it's in a legal sense or just in a human sense, by restorative justice? What what are the sort of the parameters of it, and mm-hmm. what are the interactions? Um, really, restorative justice um, is looking at violence and um, harm through that lens, right, of the offender, of the survivor, of the community, of the law enforcement personnel that are also involved, right? And how do we one, identify the harm that's been done and help everybody in this cycle to really ha- um, heal mm-hmm. and come back, right, to correct relationships with one another, but then also with God. Yeah. But that's a, that's a tough... Do you actually bring victims and or family members of victims and offenders together? Yeah, in, in, in some dioceses, they're a little bit more effective at doing that. Um, they'll have what's called a survivor's ministry. And even at this um, gathering with all the directors, we had survivors of, of crime. Mm-hmm. You know, very powerful, powerful witness to what it is to really love somebody. Yeah. Right? To sit across somebody who has harmed your family. You know, there was, they were a victim of murder. Their family was murdered. And they were still able to forgive that person yeah and it's like if they can do it what are we doing to get ourselves ready for that as well i remember years ago after the oklahoma city bombings mm-hmm. um was put in contact with a man named bud welch who his daughter his adult daughter was teaching in a daycare center um in, in the federal building in oh oklahoma city and was one of one of those who died and and 
they went to mass together every morning and mm. uh, he was going to pick her up for lunch and and, oh and my goodness. he was a gas station operator in 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 oklahoma city and he reached out to tim mcveigh's dad and wow uh, we had him on the program and it was just unbelievable and became a, a really strong touring advocate against the yeah. death penalty um and he, just to hear his story and how he forgave wow and how um it just it was it was really really stunning mm-hmm. and he he put me in contact with Tim McVeigh's father who I also managed to interview oh my goodness and um a very different man who uh, truly it seemed as if he was just overwhelmed by by the certain you know this happened yeah. to be his son and he never saw that and I don't know that anybody saw it maybe some yeah. of his you know but um and of course he was ultimately executed Tim was mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. um which is pretty rare in the federal system anymore it is, it is yeah um yeah. but uh but Talking to Bud Welch uh, just really, really hit me how mm-hmm. how difficult that must have been, and yet he did it. He yeah. he crossed the line and reached out. Uh, That's living the gospel right there. Yeah, it really it really right. is. I mean, if if you think every day we pray, right, forgive us our trespasses mm-hmm. as we forgive those, and are we truly living that? Are we yeah. are we capable of that? Yeah, I mean we. We we hear, uh, you know. Well, I'll forgive them when they come and apologize, or you know, even just just little <laughs> right. stuff, you know, like yeah, and yeah. and you go, well, that's that's not that's not what's in the gospel. It doesn't say they got to apologize. No, and, no. And uh, I think every every word Jesus spoke that that we can read in the good book. There's there's no way. To look at it and say, I don't get that. That doesn't make mm-hmm. sense to me. You yeah. know, it makes sense. And if, if we all did it, it would be a lot better world. But the, <laughs> the hardest thing he asked yes. us to do was to love our enemies. That yeah. That's the hardest thing. There, there are times when, not I even mean, nothing dramatic, but there, there are times when, you know, you've really said, okay, I got I to gotta let go of this for my own good, you yeah, know. Yeah, because it eats at us. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. The, they, they always say the, the only one who who suffers in these situations is the hater mm-hmm. because the person yeah. you're hating doesn't even know you you know they're just off they're on their own path they're on their own path that's yeah. right yeah, yeah and so it's 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 good to, it's good for you too selfishly <laughs> but i i say god you gotta you gotta help me with this one because mm-hmm. you know i kind of don't want to forgive them yeah, in fact i really don't want to forgive them it's hard because it requires much sacrifice Yep. Right. Um, yeah. You know, during this gathering, Bishop Brennan um, from Diocese of Fresno was with us and he kind of led us through this reflection. And he said, you know, take um, the scripture right, or the gospel uh, for God so loved the world um, that he gave his, you know, his only son right. for their salvation, pretty much. Right. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Um, and he what Bishop Brennan said, replace the word world and replace it with somebody who you truly love. Oh, wow. All right. And then he goes, but then replace that word, world, with somebody that you can't stand. You can't stand. Wow. And can you really understand that God, for that person, right. gave his only gave son? Gave his only God, begotten son. Yes, and <laughs> his son on the cross is forgiving people. That's right. I mean, it's like if anybody was ever wrongly executed it was jesus mm-hmm. you know and yeah. and on the cross he's saying fully human fully human forgive them. saying forgive them yeah wow yeah. i mean it's like if, if that's not enough for us i don't know what is and and it's something that we have to practice right it's, it's like a, every other muscle in our body we have to practice our muscle of forgiveness because yep. it's not easy you cannot do it in a day and and so what i've encouraged folks is When's the last time you forgave your spouse? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's so easy for us to say, oh, don't worry about it. Oh, no biggie, right? No big, Especially yeah. to those who we work with, those in, in our parishes. But how easily does it come for us to do that with our own spouse mm-hmm. or with our children? Yep. 
Right. And that's where we have to practice that muscle of forgiveness. Yeah. And then with our neighbors and then with our <laughs> with strangers. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah, and that's part of restorative justice. You know, it's not something that we only see in our detention ministry. It's not only something that we see in our survivor's ministry, but it's really what's happening within our own families. Yeah, you know, I, my wife and I have a, an unwritten rule, but it, it, it kind of makes us laugh, where, like, we're driving along and, you know, the old, somebody cuts you off in traffic mm-hmm. or somebody makes a gesture at you or whatever, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and... We say, okay, before you can climb, climb all over that person <laughs> and and say bad things about right, them and right, all right. that. Judge you, them you, right when they're yeah, cutting you off. <laughs> you have to you have to be willing to trade places with that person. Mm. You have to be willing to become that person their whole life. Yeah. You know, yeah. who, what what their job is, what their situation is, what their yeah. do you really because. You're going to judge them over this one thing, and you don't know anything about them. That's right. You know. Yeah. So, are you willing to? Are you really? Are you really <laughs> permanently? You know, you have to become that person. Because well, we condemn them so easily. Yeah. Right? And, and suddenly you're going. No, I don't think I want to be that person. You know. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it works. <laughs> it does work. You know, and, and even with our kids, right? Our, our daughter is five years old, and we try to encourage her to be able to say to speak up. Uh-huh. You know, especially when um, myself or my husband hurt her feelings. Uh-huh. All right. And it's so hard for, for us as parents to, to stop and, and listen and acknowledge that maybe their feelings were yeah. hurt. Yeah. And maybe to us it wasn't a big deal. But it was to them. It was to her. Yeah. yeah. You know, and for us as parents to be able to say, you know, what? I'm so sorry. I, di- I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Right. Right. You know, that's such a, a moment of love and validation. Yeah. You know, and hopefully we start to kind of change this culture yeah. of indifference that we have that we say, ah, it's not a big deal. Right. So many times it's not a big deal or stop crying. There's no yeah. reason to cry. There's no reason to cry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so hopefully we start teaching our children and we start practicing, like you were saying, like put yourself in the other person's place yeah. for a little bit, right? A little bit. For a little bit and think about God's sacrifice for that person. Yeah. And the, the other thing <laughs> is to, to realize that that's, a son or, or daughter of God, yeah. you know, that, that that person is loved by God as much as God loves you. Mm-hmm. Even though I think, how is he lovable? He doesn't, <laughs> he's not <laughs> acting very lovable right now, you know, and, and you do, you go, okay, you got me, God, you know, you, you, yeah. you, those, you know, and those, those are reminders of, we need to worry about our own humility. Absolutely. And, and well, God loves me, but He can't be loving that guy. You yeah. know. Well, He loves him. He might not love what the person's doing. Absolutely. You know, but and then you 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 carry you carry it out even to kind of famous bad people in history, and you go, well, what about? And I won't say any names, but what about? And God still loved that person. That's right. And Jesus still died for that person. Yeah. And, and salvation is still there for them. <laughs> salvation is still there for them, you know. And, and yeah, uh, um, yeah it's, that's well, that's a that's that's a tough one. I'm glad you I'm glad you're uh, I'm glad you're doing the restorative <laughs> justice, and, and I'm just interviewing you about it. Yeah, it's it's um, you know I I get excited right, and and so my my body gets all nervous talking about it because it's such an important work. Yeah. You know, and um, Deacon Bill Gakey, who runs our detention yeah. ministry, he does such a good a job man. of encouraging our clergy, our parishes, you know, to really think about what are we doing those who are incar- for those who are incarcerated, right. you know, because they also are seeking God. They're also seeking forgiveness. Sure um, and so how do we expand, right, our detention ministry into really a restorative justice ministry right. to think about it, pray for those who have been victims of crime and violence because they're really two different things right violence doesn't sure. necessarily mean a crime um but they're surviving right how do we keep them in our prayers how do we uh begin to open up our parishes right. to really speak about what you've lived through what you've gone through um and then also to also give thanks to our law enforcement and our judicial system you know we have a lot of people trying to do good work yeah not everybody's perfect but keep them in our prayers too, right? Uh, we have law enforcement who go out every day and put their lives oh boy. on the line for us, for our safety, and so we want to pray for them too. 
and to really give that holistic lens to restorative yeah. justice. Well, you know, the, the the detention ministry or whatever people want to call it, you know, um, it's it's so important for for even from a practical standpoint because most people who are incarcerated are going to be back in the world. That's right. You know, and and mm-hmm. wouldn't you much rather have them, whether it's the Exodus Project and, right. or things like that, uh, wouldn't you rather have them, and even if they're in for life, I mean, yeah. it's better it's better for society, it's better for all of us if, if people are, mm-hmm. are as whole as can be and as restored as can be when yeah. they come back out because the rate of recidivism is... Is incredible. It is. You I know. mean, it, it proves that. Inc- I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if if you if you could just start over and say, okay, let's do the the criminal justice system <laughs> differently. I don't know quite how how we would do it differently. I mean, some people have to be incarcerated. Yes. But a lot of it is punishment. I mean, we're going to punish you yes. for for behavior, and and it's obvious that it doesn't rehabilitate, and and yet. Unless it's a life sentence, the person is going to be. Here's we just opened the cell door. You're gone. Go out there and yeah, get a, get a job and buy a house and yeah. have a family. It's not going to happen. No, and it's you know a lot of times some of the pushback that we get when we talk about restorative justice is oh well you're just soft on crime. It's not really a soft on crime. It's looking at the experiences of each person right. and healing each other. Right. Um, yes, if you've committed a crime. You do have to. There is a punishment right. linked to that. Right. Um, but how are we helping you go beyond that crime during your either time of incarceration or when you get back into society? Right. right? Um, again, it's it's very much looking at the the family systems, the family dynamics. You know, the opportunities that are available. Um, you know, I, I personally have family members who have a felony conviction. You know, and, and they, they've done their time and trying to go back into society, yeah. trying to get a job is so difficult because oh. of that felony conviction. And so how long are they going to pay for that crime? Um, how long are we as a society going to say, well, you've yeah, you, you've paid your time, right, based on our judicial system. But now guess back. Guess what? You're not going to be able to make a living. Yeah. Or I mean, <laughs> I, I know with with my daughter in Santa Cruz when she was second year living off campus, had to get an apartment. It was almost impossible for her to get an apartment. Mm. Well, do you have a cosigner? That's How much money does <laughs> your cosigner make? How, you know, yeah. it's like, oh my gosh. And if she had a conviction? It's, it's impossible. Uh, no way she's getting in. No, there's no way. And then, you know, we're facing a crisis, right, of, of lack of affordable housing, um, thousands of people living on the streets, and there are so many on the spectrum, right, of trauma, of experiences, of trying to make things work, and they just don't have the basic skills right. to do the things that we expect them to do, right, right. to live a, a normal life. Right. So how are we as a community really recognizing that maybe we haven't done such a good job of restoring people yeah. back to where they back can where be, can. have this, you know, dignified and, and plentiful life that the gospel kind of... <laughs> It really calls us to exactly. <laughs> so, speaking of which, um, tell us about the the letter to the city council and the the county. Uh, yeah, so um, it was really our first local advocacy um, work, at least since I've been here now almost two years. Um, and this was really came from St. Vincent de Paul mm-hmm. um, here in Sacramento, um, noticing that we have lost so many people during the winter months. Yeah. You know, living on the streets because either they don't have access to a warming center, they um, have many reasons for not going to a warming center, and they have no ability to stay warm, right? And if they have health conditions, unfortunately, uh, we know how cold it gets here in Sacramento and all throughout our diocese. And so, unfortunately, I think we lost over 23 people. Wow. Uh, And that's significant. I mean, the loss of one life is significant. And so... Um, St. Vincent de Paul really came and said, let's do something. Let's really do an advocacy work, not to um, put blame on the city mm-hmm. council of Sacramento or the county of Sacramento. Cause I think a lot of us are trying to do the best we can, but to be a voice of encouragement, 
uh, provide recommendations, mm-hmm. give ideas, right? Like, right. It's not, uh, it's something that the community can respond to. And so this letter um, that came out in um, late July, um, Bishop Soto was really asking the city of Sac- city council of Sacramento and the county to look at how can we improve our response, mm-hmm. especially during the summer and the winter months right. so that we avoid the loss of life. Right. Um, and that could be, you know, better engagement with our local community partners, right? Our parishes are such great supporters, um, food donation, yeah. warming kits, hygiene kits, yeah. but you have to make the ask, right? Right, And the promotion of how do you go to a cooling center or warming center? Are they accessible? Are we thinking really of those who aren't able or are are unwilling to go to these warming centers? What can we give them as an alternative? Mm -hmm. Right? Can we give them, um, I know when I go snowboarding or when I used to go snowboarding, they were like these little sand packets that you would friction, right? And they would warm up to keep your hands warm. Well, that can keep somebody warm, you know, even if it's just the the torso, the core mm-hmm. part of their body, mm-hmm. so that they can at least survive the night, right? You know, or can we set up teams to go out and you know provide uh, thermoses of hot water, mm-hmm. anything that could really be creative right. into, so that we can avoid a loss of life. Um, and we partnered also with the California Catholic Conference and anybody who had signed up for their legislative updates mm-hmm. within the zip codes of the city and county of Sacramento received this email asking them, send this letter to your city council, to your county board of supervisor, and urging them that we support Bishop Soto's recommendation. Very good. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's it's all slow moving. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but it's you know, something it, that we it, can do. It, it's interesting. I mean... Uh, Homelessness is certainly in the news here in Sacramento, mm-hmm. and it, it seemed as if Mayor Steinberg is that he had a heart for the homeless. Yes, and um, and I mean when he first came into office, that was I mean that was part and parcel of his inaugural speech was about oh, yeah, about yeah. the homeless. There's you know, been a whole plan, exactly. you know, the plan and everything, and, plan. and yet it seems like it's expanding mm-hmm. the homelessness. Yep. It it it's seems to be way maybe it's just more visible i don't know yeah. um, but it, it it very and and i'm not i'm not blaming anybody for that it's just, there's a lot there's a lot going on there is and yeah. and i don't have very many answers but but do you know i mean they talk about mental health mm-hmm. obviously but also i think pe- people with records i think that that's a lot of it they're almost condemned to the streets sometimes yeah, I mean, it's, it's very discouraging, right? Um, you you come out of incarceration, you're hoping to, to build a better life, but you don't have the skill sets yet. Yep. You know, whether it's to, to get a job, to get housing, um, to even understand what social services are available right. to you, um, you're really at a disadvantage coming out of incarceration. Right. And, and so the Exodus Project plays a huge role right. in kind of filling that gap. Um, and unfortunately, right, we, we have seen that those who with, um, with previous incarceration experience are are living on the streets uh, with mental and those with mental health issues as well you know end up on the street um, working poor we're seeing a lot more families living in their cars because they just cannot afford the rent uh, or there aren't any uh, affordable units available so and it's i think we all long to have a quick solution you know um we fall into a trap of saying if they just yeah and, and they being the county the city the the unhoused person nonprofit organization it, we're so easy to say they if they just do this mm-hmm. then we would solve this whole problem right. uh, but unfortunately it's not that easy right we have we have to keep those who are living on the streets healthy and and alive <laughs> right we have to sustain them and also mm-hmm. look as to what are the next steps right to really support um their mental health, their physical health, um, their skill sets. How are we really supporting them so that they're ready for the next step? Yeah. And and then you have to have, and this is, again, they go back to the Exodus Project, you have to have employers that are willing to take that gamble, take that risk. That's right. You know, and yeah. say, okay, it, it, it might not work out. I mean, you yeah. you 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 can interview 20 people, and uh, but will you, will you consider... Somebody that that maybe has has a past. That's right. Yeah, and that's I I certainly understand that's hard for an employer to do. Yeah, 
and uh, even even liability wise, you know, depending yeah. on what kind of job it is, you know, and absolutely, and those things are that that's tough stuff. But without, you know, housing's part of the picture. You know, hunger's part of the picture. Mental health is part of the picture. Mm-hmm. But employment is a huge part of the picture. Employment, because skills, everything. Yeah. At some point, if 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 you are unable to get a job, uh, you know, unless you got a rich uncle, you are going to be homeless. And yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's it's what's available to to the person who's living right on the margins, really. Right. But then also holding. Um, our, our state and local officials accountable, right? If we're investing a certain amount of money, are are they being effectively used, right? right. And and are they responsibly being used right. this funding? And so, right. it really um, is a multifaceted issue. Uh, but if we're not understanding, if, if we don't spend time again, going back to how we started, right? If you're not spending time with that person, how are you going to understand what they're living through, what yeah. they're going through? And that person who is living in their car is the best person to tell you, this is what I need. Right. Instead of us saying, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Right. You know, because we really don't understand what their circumstances well, are. So often, you know, you pick up the paper and it'll say, you know, such and such company cuts 10,000 jobs. Oh, or, my and, goodness. Yeah. And you, and you think, you know, people say, well, yeah, but uh, they'll get rehired somewhere in a few months. And you go, wait a minute. You don't understand about living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. If, if, if you're unemployed for six months. You're never going to make. You're never going to receive from unemployment, even if you're eligible for it, oh, what yeah. you are making. Nope. And the, the the mortgage is due. The car payment is due. Uh, gas isn't cheaper because you lost your job. That's right. And groceries aren't cheaper. And losing a paycheck for a month puts a lot of people out of business. Oh, absolutely. They, they can't recover from even when they get the job back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you have to wait two weeks exactly. <laughs> to get that first paycheck, yeah. and it's already dedicated You're, to paying whatever you owe. Exactly, and suddenly that yeah. credit card that you got with zero uh, percent interest. Oh well, we've upped it to twenty nine because you missed a payment. That's right. You there know? are consequences. There are consequences. So. <laughs> and you're just trying to do your best to make the bank a living, you know. And the other p- narrative I think that we're hearing is, oh well, this jo- younger generation they just don't want to work. Yeah. You know, and again, spend time with the younger generation. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen so many uh, of those coming out of college, those who haven't had college experience. Sometimes they're m- missing very basic skills. Yep. You know, some many many of them don't know how to address an envelope. Yeah, <laughs> something that was a very basic it's skill not, that was taught in high yeah, school. Yeah, you know, and that could be overwhelming for somebody who's never entered the workforce. All right. of a sudden, being asked to, you know, address an envelope, and they don't know how. Yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Miriam, always a joy to talk to you. Thanks for all the great work you do. God bless you and all you work with and your family. Well, thank you. We'll look forward to seeing you again soon. I hope so. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening. God bless everyone. We'll talk to you again soon.